This is Bill Marshall, continuing my recording of my book, The Horse Rode Me, an afterlife treatise on drug addiction and reality. This segment is entitled, The Chicken or the Egg. What I have shared has given you the tools to create the life you want. You now have the baseball bat with which to hit the baseball. But in your reality, you have the choice to continue using the golf club if it is your desire to do so. Just know that if you continue to use the golf club, you will continue being a victim, continue with blaming others, continue thinking you create some experiences, but not all of your experience, continue believing in luck and accidents, and meaningless coincidences continue trying to fix a loved one you believe would be happier if they lived the life you think would be better for them and continue believing miracles appear through the magic of God. Most importantly, you will continue to believe you are connected to nothing except your genes. Much of the magnificence of your reality and who you are, I have not shared. There is so much more. What I will say, however, is that you have chosen one of the most challenging realities, and for that you are to be commended. You threw yourself into the most complex of playing fields that throughout your entire history you have played completely on autopilot. You have now chosen to wake up. With these game rules I have shared with you, you may create many of the same scenarios that arise in conjunction with your feeling signals, but you still understand that it is you that created them. There is great power and freedom in knowing that, as well as great responsibility. If you strike out with the bat, it is on you. Striking out with the golf club makes it easy for you to blame the golf club. Think of your beliefs as the bat. If you're facing a fastball pitcher, you might choose a lighter bat to get around on the pitch sooner. This would be akin to choosing a different belief. How much easier is it to change something in you than to change someone else, which you never can anyway. You provide yourself with no information about yourself when calling the driver that pulled out in front of you an asshole. Heroin will no longer hold the power any more than the pills you pop for your health hold the power. You will understand that heroin and your near limitless medications represent the power with which you have infused them by way of your beliefs. Remember Ram Das, the old Hindu guru and LSD. That old man did not have an LSD blocker hardwired into his brain. The monkey mind will not loosen its vice-like grip on your beliefs without a fight. While recording this book, I know that it had reared its insecure pinhead at every turn. But that soft whisper you have ignored for so long also spoke to you. 
There is an aphorism you have all heard. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. My admonition is, do not grease the egoic monkey mind. Your ego is your tool designed to connect you to your physical world. The monkey mind is an aberration created by you out of fear and misunderstanding of who you are. For addicts, that monkey has morphed into King Kong. Every time you go against one of your inner guidelines, the monkey gains 10 pounds. Under the influence of heroin, you break those guidelines every minute of every day. You hurt others and you hurt yourselves. However, it does not change the core of who you are. That beautiful boy or girl my parents never lost sight of. It goes hiding in the belly of King Kong. Think of that beautiful girl or beautiful boy as Excalibur locked in stone and think of the real you as King Arthur, the only one that can release the magical sword from its stony prison. The biggest question I hear you asking concerns your rock-solid belief in cause and effect. The chicken is the cause of the egg, but the egg is also the cause of the chicken. Your belief theory of evolution leads you to pose the question in the first place. What came first, the chicken or the egg? It never occurs to you that the element of time needs to be thought about differently. You believe without doubt that you react to your environment and rarely, if ever, consider that your environment reacts to you. That is because you believe without doubt that your outer world of matter and stuff pre-exists what you believe about it and that it is literal. Combined with those beliefs is the one that says what you feel and think about the outer world is the subjective non-literal. What you have read in my book says just the opposite. It appears to you that your feelings, which are signals, follows what you believe caused them. The reality, as I have pointed out, is that they arise mutually in time. If time moved any slower in your reality, your individual life would not have any movement. It would appear to you as though you were viewing an individual frame on a roll of film. When I arrived here, which is as close to you as your own skin, I saw my life as if captured in a roll of film, with each moment captured in a single frame. I understood immediately that one moment was an eternity in and of itself, and that cause and effect was nothing more than a belief I held as a truth. I saw that each emotion and the physical abstract representation of it rested in a single frame of the film. A stub toe did not appear in one frame, and my experience of pain in the next. They arise mutually, and appear in the same frame. You create your own film. 
and as stated previously, each frame represents an individual belief. The following frame can be different for you by changing the belief that feeds your perception. Some of you hold the belief that a diagnosis of cancer is a death sentence, and many survive cancer. The truth is that you can be cancer-free in every next moment. You can't think it away, but you can believe it away. This is the way your reality works. In a very real sense, you have all become victims of your own beliefs. None of you are victims of your outer reality, for it is you that creates it. You are not cured by your doctor or by medicines. You are cured by what you believe about your doctors and medicines. My admonition then is to work on those beliefs that do not serve you. Throughout the history of the human race, you have been under the hypnotic spell of your beliefs. One of your favorite phrases is, shit happens. Within the next 50 years, you will all be saying, my beliefs happen. It will be then that you will have reclaimed your power. Next heading, expectations. Your misuse of expectations, regardless of your filter set, is devastating to your desires. Each moment being a snapshot of your beliefs that wrap themselves around your process is what keeps you from creating the next moment differently from what you expect it to be. When the process goes counter to your expectations, it creates doubt and therefore diminishes trust in acquiring your desire. Doubt weakens the power of the active belief. Your entire world is interconnected and therefore cooperative. You will always draw to your experience what it is you believe. The stronger the belief, the more likely you will meet your desire or goal. But because you all have expectations regarding the process, the belief is weakened when the process does not conform to your expectations. My father trusted that tree would fall where it wanted to fall. When the tree bound up his saw as it began to fall in a different direction from where he wanted it to fall, he merely borrowed his neighbor's saw to free his own. He made the cut and the tree still fell where he wanted it to. Had the tree not bound his saw, it would not have fallen where he wanted it to. He kept his focus on his desire rather than the process which veered from what he expected. Yes, he was momentarily frustrated, but recognized his frustration for what it was, an emotional signal, and not a cause and effect. Let's say you want to get sober. You have a trunk full of beliefs that establish what that process should look like none of them suggesting it will be a breeze. Dope sickness, discomfort, struggle, and urges are but a few, and all of which you will probably experience. This is what 
focusing on the process will look like. It keeps you and many others from delaying the day you finally decide to get help. What I am suggesting is a near total focus on your desire for sobriety, which, by the way, begins its journey to you the moment you set the desire. Completely drop your expectations of the process, which is loaded with your negative beliefs. By doing so, your process may wind up being completely different than your initial expectation. In this way, you allow your desire for sobriety to join you unencumbered by the beliefs you hold about the process. You always draw what it is you believe. In 1980, my father was preparing for his second Boston Marathon. He was 35 years old, running 70 miles a week, and in the best shape of his life. His goal was to run under 2.30 for the 26.2-mile race. Six weeks before the marathon, he was running six one-mile repeats at a five-minute-per-mile pace on the old Yukon Fieldhouse indoor 200-yard track. Rounding the last turn of his fifth mile, he tore a segment of his calf muscle and went down hard. This, of course, demolished what the process to his goal should look like. Only for a moment did doubt creep in. That same day, he scheduled weekly sessions of deep muscle massage with the best sports physical therapy group in Hartford, Connecticut. It was two weeks before he could run again. He felt great on race day, and the conditions were perfect for a good race. Many years later, when I was running cross-country in middle school, he told me the story I'm sharing here. He said at 23 miles, he knew he was crushing his goal and felt as good at 23 as he did at 10 miles. He was overwhelmed with a vast emotion of joy that brought him to tears. David, he said, That moment was absolutely sublime. I felt I was in a state of grace. He went on to run 2 hours, 25 minutes, 16 seconds, a PR of over 4 minutes. He put together 26.2 mile repeats at a 5 minute, 32 second pace. All this took place 5 years before he began his individual metamorphosis and discovered the information you are reading here. The point of my father's story is that he held on to his desired goal by ignoring the process to it went completely off the expected rails. In my father's story, he was pushing his body beyond his body's ability to respond a belief in itself. He did not listen to the subtle signs his body was giving him. He needed to back off and rest, but ignored the soft, whispering voice. After several attempts to get his attention, his body took out the sledgehammer. His goal of going under 230 was still achievable, but only if he ignored 
what shape the process should look like. If he had followed the normal course you all take of realizing a torn calf muscle six weeks before the marathon dooms your goal, he would never have had the race of his life. He probably would not have raced at all. Instead of pushing himself on those six one-mile repeats, he should have been resting. He created the mechanism, unconsciously, that forced him to rest. It was the torn calf that allowed him to reach his goal. You might argue that had he not torn his calf, he would have run even faster. No, he would have faced race day flat, tired, and worn. This is a perfect example of setting a desire, knowing it is on the way, then letting go of your expectations of what form and process will take. This is trust, regardless of the twists and turns of the process. This next section is entitled, One, that's O-N-E. I cannot talk about your literal connection to all things without addressing your concept of God. How you imagine God determines the boundaries you place, not only around yourselves and your beliefs, but also around reality itself. Your view of reality can be determined by the size of the God each of you envisions. Religion is a belief system, not a truth. It was invented by you to remind you of you, the big you. Instead, you imagined a God separate from you that looked more like the big you than God itself, who is beyond any of your imaginings. God is beyond thought, but not beyond feeling. God is the sum of all your personalities and more. God is the net of gems and more. To feel the experience, to feel and experience your interconnectedness to all things, you must give up your idea of God to God. Killing each other over whose idea of God is right, God makes you weep. You see it in the eyes of weeping children that have lost their parents to war and hatred, and you see it in the eyes of parents that have lost their children. What you are seeing is God weeping, for God is the sum of all consciousness. Your understanding of God is evolving, just as your understanding of yourselves is evolving. Your current understanding of yourselves has already surpassed your understanding of the Old Testament God, Yahweh. He was a God of love, as well as a God of punishment and retribution. However, some of you still believe in a God of retribution, and even the God of retribution is God for, as I stated, God is the sum of all consciousness. But there is a story that many of you attribute to God, and that is the creation of the universe that you know. That story is evolving as well. It is evolving to suggest that free will 
is more than you have heretofore suspected. Free will is your unobstructed freedom to manifest any belief you choose. That you can create the life you want requires trust. Trust, however, is built over time and through a deep understanding of your own spiritual nature. Trust is a lack of doubt, as I stated before. In painting a vastly larger picture of God and of yourselves, I hope to lead you toward the development of trust that is critical in creating the life you desire. You do not believe, as the late priest philosopher Alan Watts does, that you are one of an infinite number of divine manifestations while at the same time part of a unified whole. Watts believed in the power of free will. Some church dogmas state that you are a tainted creation of the divine whose purpose is to lift you to a higher plane of spiritual existence. Some of you profess to no longer believing in God but hold to a purely scientific belief system. You are a mere manufacturing coincidence of a mindless machine and everything goes dark when you die. Those that believe in God readily admit your understanding of his nature is limited, and so what you do not understand you assign to God's mysterious ways. Bad things happening to good people falls into this category, and so does good things happening to bad people. The early Gnostics defined spiritual as gnosis, or knowing. Those without gnosis worshipped the Creator and believed Christ would save them from sin. The uninitiated accepted Christ by faith, understanding neither his true nature nor their own. Those who had acquired gnosis understood Christ as sent by the Father of Truth and that their nature was identical to his and to God's. This is a critical point in that it gets at the deeply rooted belief most of you still cling to, and that is that God and you are separate. I'm going to end here, and we'll begin the next with session 17.